Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Well, Larry Hughes is going to pop out and get the ball. Jordan's going to rub his man off of Leitner and then cut down the center and gets a nice pass from Larry Hughes. Did somebody say playoffs? The NBA, MLB, and NHL are all in full swing, and our partners at Bet Online have you covered. So take full advantage of sports being back and get in on the action with hundreds of odds, futures, and props for you to bet on. And there's always the online casino as well. It never closes. So head to betonline.ag today and sign up to receive your welcome bonus on your first deposit. Again, that's betonline.ag and sign up today. Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts. All right, everyone, welcome into this week's Believe in Wizards podcast. Uh, I'm Matt, he's Larry, and uh, I think we got an interesting thing to kind of tease and, and intro to you guys. Uh, we're going to try to do uh, an overtime segment, you know, have have listeners come in for five-ish minutes to talk some hoops with Larry. And the way you can do that, you can send us a screenshot of you subscribing to the podcast and leaving a review with folks you'd like to see as potential guests on the show. You can send that to us at Believe in Wizards, B-L-E-A-V in Wizards on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, any of that good stuff, or an email to believeinwizards at gmail, and that'll get your name sort of in the drawing. And at the end of each episode, we'll we'll have a couple minutes of sort of fan uh, interaction and let you guys, you know, guest host a segment on the show. Larry, what do you think uh, folks will be able to get out of that? I think it's just really for engagement to interact with the fans, talk some basketball, um, with everything going on, you know, especially with the bubble. Everybody has an input. I mean, everybody has some information about, you know, basketball. So let's talk some basketball, you know, your vantage point of what you saw, you know, with the games that are being played, seating games, uh, expectations. I mean, I just want to just have a conversation with, with, with fans out there just to see what they're thinking. You know, for me, I, I love doing this every week because it's, it's interesting to get sort of your firsthand experience uh, and perspective on these things. So uh, might as well give everybody the, the opportunity to kind of do that as well. And um yeah, if you've already entered, you know, please tell a friend, all that good stuff. I think we'd like to kind of make this as interactive as we can. So we'll definitely be taking sort of multiple winners and, and things like that. So uh, look for the first person to be introduced in next week's podcast, the, the first winner to be introduced. And then, uh, yeah, from, from then on, we'll be rolling folks out. Obviously, not a whole lot of Wizards-related content to talk about this week. I've uh, been kind of a, a slow news week here on, on the D.C. front, but a lot of really good NBA playoff basketball going on. And, and Larry, we'll start one that's uh, sort of close to your heart here with the, the Boston-Toronto series. Curious to get your thoughts. Um, it's been a pretty crazy one. Well, I'm loving it. I'm loving it. You know, being a, a guy that played on uh, multiple teams in the NBA, not necessarily a guy that's going to root for, you know, all the teams that I played on. So me finding, you know, that connection, uh, especially with Jason being in Boston, so I find myself rooting for Boston, but I also find myself wanting to see a good game. So aside from who wins, I still want to see a quality game. And then I'm hoping, you know, that that my nephew is is, is doing his thing. Uh, and that series, man, that's it's 
one of the the best that I've seen, at, at least in the last five years. I mean, I can go back to you know the Lakers in Sacramento, the Lakers in Portland, Indiana, and and New York. You know, those sort of series were like the back and forth, uh, very similar in talent. Both sides have expectations, but it's been a really good battle. Definitely can't wait to see Game Seven. The one from last year's playoffs that stuck out to me was the Denver-Portland series. It probably wasn't as good a quality of basketball as this one has been, but it was definitely sort of back and forth and exciting. But but these two teams, like, they're playing well, and 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 they seem to be pretty – I actually think Boston's been the, you know, slightly better team overall, just been, you know, a little – a little unlucky here too, um, but but both teams have been good. And and I, for me personally, I would pick either one of them at this point to come out of the East. I'm curious what what you think about that, though. Well, it's, it's an even matched series, and their star players are obviously making the plays. But then it's the other guys that are stepping up. Powell, you know, when Siakam is struggling, uh, having a guy like Williams come in off the bench to be active big for Boston. So it's always depending on what those other guys do to help, you know, really push that needle forward. And everybody is coming to the table, and that's a, it's a great thing to watch. Yeah, the OG Ananobi half-push three-pointer, you know, at the buzzer. Like, you see a lot of teams, when, when they're on the wrong end of a shot like that, sort of not mentally recover. Uh, what, what's that like firsthand if somebody kind of, you should have a commanding lead in the series, and all of a sudden yeah. one tough bucket, kind of fluky bucket realistically, even closer to even things back up you know it, it happens and it, it definitely it's it, it drains you it's like so close but yet so far uh, and it takes you know a guy you know group guys to come together uh, to to change you know that environment to change the air uh, to mm. get that you know to get that stench out of there but it's really seeing those games on, on you know seeing the game on tv then seeing the shot on tv and then waiting to get to that next game and then you battle in that next game and you lose that next game. So I have Toronto with actually with the mental edge. Mm-hmm. Um, then we'll see, you know, how the, how the physical plays out. But they definitely, you know, should be carrying a mental edge uh, over, over Boston right now. That, the Kawhi shot last year, like, they're, you know, they're, they're a couple tough makes away from, from not having nearly the same postseason success. So it's, it's been a little crazy to, to, to see that play out for them. You know, Washington as a fan base, I think overall has been sort of uh, anti-Kyle Lowry because there's been a lot of like who's better Wall-Lowry kind of competitions. And and up until pretty recently, I would think that it was pretty convincing that it was Wall was the better player. But Lowry has been incredibly clutch, especially last night's game. I mean, he just made tough shot after tough shot and has sort of reinvented himself as like this super clutch, you know, playoff Lowry, I guess. Yep. Well, I've known Kyle since day one, and he's always been a worker. And that's something that you can't take away from him, and that's why it's successful. I mean, if you think a couple of years back of him you know, really struggling in the playoffs, so he's been through the entire roller coaster ride. Uh, he's in a, a good situation now where they have a culture that's built around, you know, whether you win or lose, you're going to play hard. And I think that that's been his, that's been his advantage. That's been his calling uh, because he is going to always play hard. He's going to always be a team player. Uh, he's, you know, always putting the team first. And I think that that's, you know, that's a good testament to what he's done. But it's it's tough to compare Wall and, and, and Kyle because Kyle is, is he's winning. I mean, he, he's really, you know, he's really winning and he's doing everything that it takes to win. He's, you know, shooting the tray. 
he's taking charges. He's getting his teammates involved. Uh, he's communicating with his teammates, the coaching staff, the refs. He is, you know, he is all in to, you know, trying to be uh, an NBA champion. I always just prefer a guy like somebody that has a little edge to him is the guy I typically sort of most respond to. And you saw him with a tough drive in the couple, like last couple of minutes of the game last night. And then he gave kind of Jalen Brown a little bump on the way down the court. Like I, I love shit like that. So for me that I, I would prefer Boston win too, just uh, from a, I would like to see the Boston Miami matchup a little bit more, but Toronto is really good, man. And I, I'm still kind of mind blown by it like I, I really just didn't expect them to be to be nearly this good so uh credit to those guys uh maybe let's switch over to uh to the miami milwaukee series that that just wrapped up i guess that's the one in the playoffs i've, I've been most wrong about so far i not only thought milwaukee would look a lot better but i just thought at some point it would catch up to miami that there's a lot of like unproven guys on there you know like i thought if you know, Kendrick Nunn started like 90% of the games all season. And now he he's kind of like barely playing in a couple of these games. And suddenly Dragic is like, you know, one of the best point guards left in the playoffs. And and Hero's gotten better. And Duncan Robinson has stepped up. Uh, wh- what do you make of those guys? Man, just my, you know, experience just over the number of years that I played is that the culture that's created in Miami is very special. And it's a winning culture. So it is a plug and play. It's a follow the leader, uh, and you only and the leader is is not, you know, someone that's. It's it's not just giving to a, a guy to, to be a leader. It mm-hmm. it is earned. I mean, you think of D Wade and, and and UD down there now. I mean, they're they're leaders in that in that culture, and I think with Jimmy coming in, you know, obviously we've seen things throughout the course of the year, but he is a real bona fide leader, and to go through a work stoppage to go through when guys have to train on their own and be accountable for uh, what their actions are to have a guy like that in place, I think it was a huge win for them. And not saying Milwaukee didn't have it or Orlando didn't have it, but it's just um, a culture that's built in that standing. And when things start to go right for them, they're not looking for something to go wrong. They're just piling on what's going right. And when I look at those guys is that they're all about pace and space and it's about ball movement and player movement. And it's not just for 20 minutes. It's not just for 28 minutes. It is for 46 and a half minutes where they are moving, bodies are moving, and ball is moving. And I think that that's their advantage. So I would expect to see those guys even come out of the East, man. I, I had Milwaukee coming out you know, mm-hmm. against Toronto. So, you know, if I'm looking at it now, I like what Miami is doing. I like how they're shooting the ball. I like how the home court advantage is completely wiped out of the playoffs this year. And – you know, those guys feed off of their own energy and, and making shots as opposed to fast break, um, you know, highlight reel sort of things that create the energy. So they're cre- creating their energy by making shots. And from one to seven, you know, those guys can make shots. Even Bam can make shots. So I'm, I'm liking what they're doing overall. I've heard both Jimmy Butler and Duncan Robinson say in, in interviews that, you know, of any team, they were sort of the one – that most benefited from the bubble or was or was best suited to play in the bubble because they had some of those less experienced guys, you know, the, the, the magnitude of a road playoff game isn't the same when you don't have fans and things like that. And they, they felt really confident that like, this is, this is a year for them. And, and I, I got to think that just, you know, like you were talking about having that, that swagger that like, Oh yeah, this is built for us. It, it goes a long way, especially when your best player sort of exudes that at all times. 
and I love it. You know, I love it. The, the, the greatest meme or, or picture or visual I had after uh, the Miami games is the lion walking through the streets and saying that that's Jimmy Butler, yeah. you know, walking through the bubble. And that is, that's true. When those guys are so close, everybody is so friendly. You need that lion, you know, in the crowd to, to really, you know, make your mark. And, and they're trying to win a championship. It's very obvious that they're trying to win a championship and they don't care that it may or may not have an asterisk by it. I think they are really trying to win a championship to say that they did it. Or I talked a minute ago about, I always like the guys that have a chip on their shoulder and that that's clearly Jimmy Butler to some extent, but I also typically don't like the guys that, that do a lot of like, like I felt like early in his career, there was a lot of, of Jimmy Butler being like, I'm a winner. No, no, no. Trust me. Like I'm a winner. And he hadn't really won anything big yet, but what he's doing with this team, like that's enough credibility in my mind that, that you can beat your chest and tell people you're a winner as much as you want, because I don't think anybody would have expected this before the year. Like, and they've also made great moves to get other guys that sort of fit in with that. Like Jay Crowder's not taking shit from anybody. And, and like Iguodala, like, you know, he's, he's not going to back down. Like it, it just, they're really smart about the guys that they bring in, like you said, to fit that culture and system. No, that, that's important, man. You know, that, that's important. You know, you talk about how good players are and, and it is really about the fit of the organization and, you know, that marriage, how it has to work. And it didn't work in, you know, Chicago the way they wanted. It didn't work in Minnesota. Uh, have no idea why it didn't work in Philly. But, you know, what he's rolling into in Miami, they fit. And I don't think Jimmy's a me guy. He was an I guy, but I don't think he was a me guy. Mm -hmm. And I think that the culture helps him, you know, push what he's doing into what others are doing. So his eye of what he does, it's kind of rubbing off on, on those other guys to, you know, to get them in that same sort of mold. Yeah, the thing I've liked is anytime they lose a game and you hear something from him, it's, I didn't do this to get us the win. It's, it's always the, you know, the thumb, not the finger. And, and I think that um, – that, that goes a long way, especially when you have a lot of young guys around you too, because then, then they feel supported and, and, and all that good stuff. Um, what, what went wrong with Milwaukee? Like what, I mean, do you think that's just the heat outplayed them or, or do you see some, some sort of holes there maybe? I think the heat outplayed them with their pace and their space and their ball movement and their activity uh, and their ability to shoot the ball and to stretch the court. Uh, Duncan Robinson was huge uh, in, in that series even if he wasn't getting attempts, he had a designated man standing right next to him, which completely took that man out of help. Um, and I think was it was a very good advantage for them. And then with Milwaukee, I think they play off, off the energy of the crowd and what Giannis is able to do in the transition situations and how just being in the playoffs and being the team that has the home court advantage, there is some thoughts that creep into the minds of players. There's thoughts that creep into the minds of referees and officials um, that makes it a, a different playing field. And with an even playing field, I think you're getting a, a chance to see how, you know, how good players are, you know, how, how much they want to compete. And if you eliminate some of those factors that we all know, like when we go into the other team's you know, locker room and the other team's are, uh, arena, you know that there's some bias that's there. And at this point, I don't think that there's any bias. So I think that that hurt uh, Milwaukee without being able to play on the energy that they feed off of, uh, especially being at, at home. A couple of the immediate rumors after were that Milwaukee should go out and, and try to get somebody like Chris Paul. Uh, do you think that's a good fit for, for the rest of their roster? 
I, I think that there's, you know, I think that there's room for a, a point guard that makes plays. Mm-hmm. And Chris, whether that's the right piece at this point, I think that you need someone that's going to make plays from that league guard position, right? If you place Giannis at the top of the circle and allow him to come down on a defense, there, there's too, there's too many eyes on him. So I think that having someone uh, to put him in the position to be successful, I think that that is huge. And a leader like Chris, you know, you, you're not going to throw a better name out there uh, than, than Chris Paul. It's just now, is that the right fit for him? Um, is there any, you know, is there any longevity there? Cause I don't think Chris wants to just play one year. Uh, mm-hmm. but anytime you throw a, a, a name out there like Chris, uh, Paul and, and him coming to, to run your team, you know, you automatically get a couple of notches up, you know, on your, on your leaderboard, as you can see with, with what OKC did, uh, this year as well. I don't know if this is just the byproduct of being a Wizards fan and us always being on the wrong end of terrible trade proposals, but this is one of the ones that seems to make sense to me, you know, like uh, if you're Oklahoma City, probably want to get younger and, and build around, you know, Gilgis Alexander and people like that. So, you know, maybe you can give them some picks and a couple young guys. And, and for the Bucks, if you got to win to keep Giannis, that, that seems like a guy that could definitely help you do that. So I'd be curious to see how that plays out. But like you said, the age, the money, uh, those are all pretty big factors they'll have to consider. The money. Yeah. The money is the other, that's the elephant in the room. I mean, it's like $40 million. I mean, yeah, it's, it's a lot, you know, I mean, that, that's, that's a lot of dough and the opportunity is there. Chris is a proven leader. Uh, but again, it was all the little things that go on that you have to figure out that you may want that guy, but it may not be, you know, financially possible. Shifting gears a little bit to sort of the other end of the the spectrum. Michael Porter Jr., did you hear these comments uh, the other night for, for folks listening after Denver lost to the Clippers to go down 1-3 in the series? He basically put the loss on the fact that they didn't move the ball around enough and get other guys involved. I, I don't actually disagree with the comment, but why say that out loud and, and sort of throw your team and your coach under the bus? Yeah, I'm, I'm confused. You know, I'm confused with those comments. I know, you know, Mike's uh, his pedigree and his background on where he comes from. His dad is a coach. His dad mm-hmm. has been a long, long-standing coach uh, with a great reputation. And, you know, just the, the, the amount of conversations, the number of conversations that I know that they've had about, you know, what's the you know, proper etiquette, you know, when you're talking about your teammates or you're talking about your coach and how to really get your message ap- across that it's not just noise, that you're actually having – a, a real conversation and, and one change. So for him to go and make those comments, I'm disappointed. You know, I, I'm, I'm disappointed. I think that we have to be professional. We also have to be men. And if there's an issue um, that you have, that you have a question, you, you want to talk to the coach, right? I mean, you want to bring, you know, Yoke and, and, and Maul in there. Let's, let's go talk to coach Mike. I know, I know coach Mike. So I, I know he'll have that conversation. And, and I think that that's the way you, you, you address that, but you don't talk to th- through the cameras and try to get a message to your team uh, because that, that just, not, that's not going to sit well. Uh, and that's a pretty, not a huge, I mean, it's not a, a big time veteran ball club, but those guys have had some experience. They've been around the block. They're, they're experienced and know how this thing goes. So I would, I would see that those guys should be really disappointed in those comments and have a conversation and, and move forward. I kept looking for like the rest of the interview, assuming that that was one little clip that got taken out of context. But, but listening to the couple, you know, 30 seconds before and after, I don't, really doesn't seem like that was the case. 
as a team, how do you get past that? Like, do you, if, if you're him, do you sort of have to fall on your sword in the locker room or, or can, as teammates, can you just kind of ignore it? How, how does that work? No, there's a conversation. You know, there, there's a conversation. Guy, buddy, you're, you, you know, you just sniff this thing that we're calling professional NBA basketball. I mean, you're just sniffing this and maybe you're not aware of how things should go as far as communication, but we're all young, um, young adults here. And I think that that's the conversation. That's where it starts. We're, we're all adults here. And even though, you know, you're just coming in, you're a rookie, we may have a few more years than you. If you're feeling something, let's talk about it. And then let us guide you in the way that makes the most sense for our ball club. If we are the two guys that are going to dictate how we go, whether we win or lose, that's what we have to accept. And everybody else is playing a supporting role, you know, and it's nothing wrong with that. But for me, if, if I'm leading that team, I'm having a conversation, I'm having a players only uh, meeting and we're just going to have a conversation about, you know, how everyone can help, you know, how we all need everyone to, to be successful. And hopefully you don't feel like someone is taking your shine because, you know, you're not getting you know shots or attempts. And I know that ultimately you want to win the basketball game. So there may be some frustration there, but we have to do it together. Yeah, exactly. And, and, you know, I think that's a reasonably mature seeming group overall. Like, I think there are certain teams where you could say that and, you know, you might get slugged in the locker room or something later. Like, I can't see the way Jamal Murray carries himself being somebody that, that can't get past something like that. So I hope that, you know, somebody, a veteran on that team gave him sort of the, hey, Rook pep talk and, and, and they'll be good. Because I, I actually, I think Denver's kind of fun to watch and, and I'd like to see them try to at least make this competitive down the stretch. And, and they have a bunch of talent. And through the course of the 82-game season, all of that talent is going to be needed. And, of course, you have a limited time when you're playing a bunch of games where maybe everyone is not utilized to the, to the best of their ability. But you have to think ahead, right? I mean, you have to think ahead of, of an entire season. There's opportunities for everyone, especially if you're in that seven, eight-man rotation. You're going to get everything that you need. Yeah, totally agree. Um, just staying in the Western Conference for a second. Uh, Lakers are up 2-1, but it hasn't necessarily been pretty. Um, I'm a little concerned about, uh, you know, the, the team I think we were talking about pretty strongly as being the one to pull out the Western Conference. But does it, does it worry you at all that literally all of the production seems to come from the same two guys every time? No, not really. That's the way it's, it's pretty much, you know, set. Guys are going to take, you know, 20 to 25 shots. You're also going to get to the free throw line between five to, to 12 times. So, I mean, if you just think, I mean, that's a lot of possession. That's a lot of time that those guys have, um, you know, the right to do whatever they want. And that's what we rely on. If there's a lot of screens, you know, a lot of, you know, picking on guys. So the ball is staying in one person's hands. And that's the style that, that these teams have chose to play. So I don't see anything necessarily wrong with it. But again, anytime you can have that third score, anytime that you can have that guy off the bench give you 12 to 15 points, that's where your advantage is going to come. The starting fives are pretty pretty equally matched as far as the production that's going to come out. Uh, but you're going to need that bench guy to come in. You know, Two bench guys, one guy gets 12, the other guy gets between 8 and 10. Then you have something to, to help you out in your starting lineup. I, I just kind of watched that the other night and I'm like, oh, they're giving a lot of big minutes to Markeith Morris, who I don't know how much he has sort of left in the tank overall in terms of high level production. And uh, th- that was just a little bit, you know, concerning to me. Like, 
the third best guy on most of these other teams, I would take over the third best guy on the Lakers. Granted, their two best guys are probably it's the best duo in the league, but exactly. So, so it's, at some point it'll balance out. Yeah. At, at, at some point it'll balance out. So you're looking for that third guy to be reliable, uh, obviously to space the floor, to make shots, and be a tough nosed defensive presence uh, to not allow any you know any lazy or weak baskets. And with the Lakers, I mean, you couldn't play two bigs. I mean, even though uh, AD is a guy that's going to space the floor, he's still going to creep in towards the free throw line. And then, you know, your other guy, your other big guy, he's in the dunker spot. So he's going to creep up into the middle of the lane. And then that's when I think the Lakers run into problems, you know, with having someone that can make plays because the wedges are so small, the angles are so short uh, that it's hard to, to make plays. And if they can take one of those bigs out, put Morris in, he's able to stay in that corner longer. And then you obviously can open it up to make more plays. But at the end of the day, A.D. or Brian is the guy that's going to shoot it. And the corner guys are, are pretty much the afterthought. This is why I'm not a pro athlete among a very, a very long list of reasons. But I would be thinking like, oh, shit, I really cannot afford to have an off night because I just don't know who would would pick up the slack. That, that just seems like that would be a tough spot to be in uh, if you don't have like that one consistent third guy. And, and maybe Kuzma can do that in different matchups or something. But Yeah, I, I, was, I think it's scattered. I think it's, it's, it's spread out. Like, you're, you know, from game to game, I know these guys are playing every other day. So just the, the, amount, of, the amount of work that goes into that, I mean, that's just a, you know, that's, that's a feat in itself to, to play a high-level game, you know, every other day like these guys are doing. So, yeah, like you said, you, you're going to need those guys to step up, you know, two or three, four guys to step up at any given time to, to help you get a win. Uh, one of the other big news points of, points of contention recently has been the, the hiring of, of Steve Nash as the head coach of the, the Brooklyn Nets. And, and you've heard um, some various issues that that's brought up about, you know, privilege and things like that. Stephen A. Smith has sort of been the one sort of leading the, you know, the, the bandwagon on that one. I just want to get your take on what you think about the hire, you know, the fairness of it, all that kind of stuff. Well, I think it's good to, to have players that, you know, former players uh, get their opportunity to coach teams. I mean, we do a lot of thinking, we do a lot of film. So I think that that's a, a proper progression. If that's what you choose to do uh, to coach at the highest level, you know, which you had the opportunity to play in. Obviously when you're playing you know, professional ball, you don't have the opportunity to go through the ranks of so starting at the different levels to, to work your way up. It's just mm -hmm. not possible. So these guys are learning on the fly. They're learning on the job. And a number of these guys always have an X and O X's and O's guy, you know, with them or someone that's experienced sure. uh, with them that can help them through, um, you know, kind of that game management, which as a player, most times lose track of that. So I'm sure that that's one of the toughest things to put their finger on as a coach is to, you know, that, in-game management that you always have to have with those 12, 13 guys. Uh, but I think it's, it's, it's good, man. I, I understand, you know, the privilege and our conversation and where we are today as far as, you know, what opportunities are presented to uh, people of color than of Caucasian. So I, I understand that. But at the same time, it is about the players as well because management would have a conversation with the players that, you know, obviously they're paying a lot of money. They expect a lot of big things from them. They want to know who matches what you do the best is from a coaching standpoint who can you relate to the best who, who can get the most out of you and if a player has a name or two players have three players they have a name uh, whatever color it is you have to you have to to look at it I mean you have to to 
take a hard look at what players are looking for. It is a player's league, so you want to understand what they're looking for. And it just so happens to be Steve Nash, who is a white guy who hasn't had any coaching experience, uh, but is a Hall of Fame player. And I can respect it. You know, I, I can respect it. I, I completely understand, you know, what management is going. Um, so I'm, I'm good with it. When it first came out, I was like, okay, I, I can see where they're coming. I think if it had been anyone like other than someone like of Steve Nash's profile and background, like it would be, it'd be a little different. You know, he's, he's been outspoken about social issues. So I think he has some credibility there too, but he also worked in Golden State as a consultant. They said most of, uh, you know, Kevin Durant's like pregame and routines that he does or things he got from Steve, like there's a connection there that sort of makes that make a little more sense. So it's not like they brought in any like, you know, guy right, right off the street to to coach. Like he's, he's got some track record with that. And I'm very curious to see, like, I think Kyrie Irving might be one of like the five most talented guys with the ball and, and around the basket in the league. It, it'd be interesting to see what, what somebody like Nash can kind of help him unlock from a facilitating standpoint, I guess. Yeah. And I think it's, it's a mentality, you know, it's a mentality of, of who do you, who do you want to follow, right? Who, who do you want to lead you? You understand that you're a champion, you know, you got a crazy game, you have a bunch of accolades and now you want to take that next jump of entering into the greatest space of the greatest point guards to play. You may not be the best point guard to play, but you want to get in, in the mix of that conversation. And if you're, Kyrie Irving and you have a coach like a Steve Nash with all the other coaches and, and the pedigree that you've that you've had it's a good fit I mean it, it, it's a good fit and we have to remember that we're not we're still the minority right so they're going to be if there's one candidate for us there's going to be four that are not that that don't look like us mm-hmm. so we have to understand that and just make sure that the person that's the most qualified is is getting those opportunities and I think Steve Nash is a guy that, again, he spent a lot of time just breaking the game down. He's very respectable in the in the basketball community. Uh, we all admire Steve and, and, and what he's done. So I'm I'm definitely good with that. I did kind of like what Jock Vaughn did with uh, that Nets team in the bubble. Like the way they played, um, you know, candidly was kind of the opposite of the way the Wizards responded. So. Yep. Uh, I heard, uh, I guess yesterday, Indiana might give him a look and stuff like that. So I, I hope he gets a real shot at a, a head coaching job because I think of anybody I've seen over the last couple of years, like he he did more with less, I guess. So uh, I would definitely like to see that. Were there any guys that you had as teammates throughout your career where you just thought like, oh yeah, this guy, he could like step in and coach a team tomorrow, like just the way they thought about the game or, or the way they watched film and, and dissected the game, that kind of thing? Well, in in a sense, I mean, a, a lot of the guys that, that I play with, great great basketball minds. But when I think of you know who would actually you know go into the coaching space, it's been the, a couple point guards that come to mind. Uh, that's Eric Snow, mm-hmm. who I was drafted with to Philadelphia. He was there as the point guard and uh, really you know running the team. I mean, really you know had an understanding of of you know offense, defense, you know breakdowns, and just you know just being a point guard and coming from. Michigan State, he had a, you know, very good toolage on what, you know, how to play the game. And the other guy was, was a smaller guy. Um, he's doing some, some commentating, I believe, in New Orleans, but uh, David Wesley. And I played with, with David Wesley in Cleveland also. But he was always a guy that, that broke the game down. Uh, he was always a guy that sat in the, you know, the, the coach's office and had conversation with the coaches. He was a little older when I, you know, when we played together. So he was, you know, kind of in that next phase of, of, transitioning out so I thought that he would 
uh, be one of the guys that would, would be a head coach in the league one day. And he just he just took a different path. Now he talks about it on TV. But if I had to name two guys just off the top, it would be Eric Snow and, and David Weston. Yeah, those are good calls. I mean, you hear a lot about Eric Snow in sort of coaching circles now about that's a guy I wouldn't be surprised to be coaching like a major college program in, in a couple more years too. You know, I, I like kind of what Miami has done with people like Adonis Haslam. Like he's essentially a coach at this point for them. Um, can't remember the last team, you know, he actually played in a, a meaningful game. And like you said about culture setting and stuff like that, that's a guy that lived it. And that's sort of one of the things I think this sort of Wizards franchise has been missing. You know, a lot of the, like your era guys for the most part, aren't aren't guys that that you've seen, you know, sort of proliferate up through the front office and, and or the coaching staff or things like that. So it, it'd be neat to see kind of getting back to, to that route a little bit more and, and, and try to build that up. I don't know who the exact names would be, but but something like that I think would, would resonate well with fans and players. And, and when we had Gilbert on, he talked about, you know, sometimes as a player, like you've just, there's a little more cachet or credibility with a coach that you know played at a high level. So I think it would be cool to see something like that. No, I, I think that that's important. You know, I think that, that that's important. And it is for me, you know, having some sort of role and some sort of position where I can help give back or, or whether it be not on the bench for a full time, just being a former player with, with a basketball mind to help, you know, those guys that are coming up, I would, I would, that would be something that I would love to do, you know, just because you have that passion for a team that you play for, uh, understand what you can give back to a team that you play for. And then there's a connection, right? There's a connection to the city. There's a connection to the players that uh, are on the team, you know, in, in some way. So it is just kind of an all around, you know, even once you leave the team, you still understand what that culture is. And if you're able to come back, then you just come back into that same culture and then you're able to enhance that. And I think that that's important. You see it, like you said, you see it in Miami. I mean, I, I saw Anthony Carter, on Miami's bench. And mm -hmm. it was the first time I've seen them in a while, but that's how they operate. That's how they do things. Uh, and that's how they keep the culture going uh, in Miami. I didn't want to put you uh, on the spot directly there, but it, the work you've done with younger players and player development kind of stuff with, with the academy, I think it would translate well to a younger team like the Wizards have right now, but also from, uh, you know, introducing technology and how can we do things differently? Like a lot of the stuff you have going on, I, I think would have real implications for, for teams like this. And I don't know if, if you hear from teams about things like that and getting more involved, but I think that's the kind of stuff that fans look for too. Like it, it just, the organization looks better when guys want to come back and be involved and they reach out to, to guys like that. And you just, you almost never hear that here. That That is very important, right? I mean, that is, you know, that is your culture there. Players that they're going to come and they're going to go, uh, but there's an influence that, that we have, uh, whether it be, you know, post, past or present, that is very real and you can always transfer, you know, information and things that you know to be true. That, that culture thing is, is very strong. And most of the good teams, most of the good, you know, organizations, they, you know, they, they have that. Tommy Shepard, if you're listening, get on it. That's something to, that's <laughs> something to work on. Uh, all right. Uh, I got one last question for you shifting away from the NBA real quick. I don't know if you saw this at all today. It started a little bit yesterday, I guess, but, the ACC is sort of proposing this notion of an NCAA tournament where everybody gets in. And I don't know if you, you do it in a bubble or what the setup from there would be, but what do you, what do you think about that notion of, of bringing, you know, close to 300 teams and, and letting them kind of duke it out? I, I think it brings excitement. 
You know, we're always looking for the underdog. We're always looking for the Cinderella story. In this scenario, the Cinderella would come from way out in left field. So I think that that's something that you can anticipate. Uh, it, it builds anticipation. You know, schools get a chance to to rally together uh, and, and with their school colors and support a group of young men or, or young women, you know, mm -hmm. for, for that matter, um, just depending on how things go. So I, I think any time that you can, you're trying to create situations where we're fielding a space for, for competition. Uh, we're allowing uh, kids to, to work and to be great and to, to hone in on, on their craft and to try to, you know, push careers forward and things that they can do, you know, later on to actually uh, make a living for themselves. I think that that's a positive thing. And I think it should be about the players and about the institutions and how they support the players and not a way to affect the bottom line for the universities or for the NCAA or things of that nature. I think if we're doing it for the competition and, and understanding how hard these kids work um, to earn scholarships and to, to win, you know, in, in their sport, I think that that's positive, but anything aside from that, I think it's taken away from, from all the hard work that these kids, you know, put in day in and day out. I think you just nailed exactly how I felt about it too. And, and my first kind of thought when, when hearing it was, if we're going to ask these kids to sort of put themselves at risk, you know, I mean, granted they get stuff out of playing college basketball, but at the end of the day, like it's sort of servicing the public at large with, with entertainment. Like why not give them a carrot there at the end of the day? Like, Hey, I, I know that if I'm putting my health on the line in some capacity, I'm going to get a chance at the tournament. Like I'm going to get this cool experience out of it. For For me, I think that would just sort of be an extra motivation or light at the end of the tunnel to know like, that that was on the table for you at least. Because if you're a small conference school and now all of a sudden you have, a, you have no non-conference games, you're not making the tournament otherwise. So, so what are you really playing for other than just sort of education and things like that on the side? But it, it sort of takes the basketball motivation away, I guess. Yeah, because, I mean, these, these schools, they had, you know, there's anticipation when, you know, you see a big-name school on your schedule for non-conference. You know, you're calling, you know, all the way to Idaho to, to make sure that, you know, this this person is watching because, you know, our little school is getting a chance to play, you know, against, you know, UNC on, on their home court. You know, I think that that's, you know, that's special. And, and that's stuff that, obviously, on the flip side of that, schools use for, for as marketing tools for other students, you know, outside of the sports. So I think if they're doing all of this to make sure that the, the students or the student athletes are getting what they need out of it and what they want out of it. I, I, I love it. Uh, I had a, my, my daughter's playing at St. Louis university and uh, she, they're they're in the, in the uh, a 10 conference mm. and they're thinking about doing some sort of bubble uh, in Houston. Oh, so cool. we're getting more information on that uh, and everything is changing, but you know, I think in any effort to get these kids some, some competition, I'm all for it. I think all the safety measures will be in place and, you know, we'll, we'll see how, how it shakes out. It makes a lot more sense now too. There's some precedent, you know, obviously that maybe the NBA model isn't sustainable, but even the TBT guys, like there's a lot you could follow there and, and there's sort of, I think enough track record on, on how you can do this safely and successfully. And, and honestly, any kind of bubble they do seems just inherently safer to me than leaving kids alone on a college campus anyway. <laughs> I mean, it, it, or at least the same level of risk, I, I would think. So definitely be cool to see how that plays out. Um, Larry, that was all the list of stuff I, I had for this week. Anything else you want to hit before we get out of here? No, no, just, um, you know, looking forward to, to the games uh, tonight. And uh, again, you know, can't wait to, See game seven, man. Game seven, Boston against Toronto.
Very cool. Yeah, I, I can't wait for that one. Expect some text during it if it gets uh, gets <laughs> as crazy as the last couple have been. Uh, all right, everybody, this has been Believe in Wizards. Again, uh, remember, we got this contest going on. We, we'd love to hear from you guys. We, we'd love to interact with you a little bit more and have you on the show. So hit us up. Make sure to do that. Rate, review, subscribe, all that good stuff. And uh, we will talk to you all next week. Thanks, Larry. Thank you, Matt. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.